Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African-American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director at Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to the Black Bar. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and tonight you are in the midst of our Dialogue About Daughters series. It is a part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign that takes place on May the 8th. If you want more information on the campaign, you can visit our website at SaveOurDaughtersNight.com. You can also visit our main site at FathersIncorporated.com. This effort is an extension of the effort that we held not too long ago, Save Our Sons Night, um, that we held on May 8th. Across the country, we had 111 organizations in over 60 cities um, prepare events and activities for fathers to engage in the lives of their sons. This effort is an extension of that to encourage our fathers to engage in the lives of their daughters and men to engage in the lives of girls. And so we've had some great minds and great people that I've interviewed over the last few weeks, and today's guest is no different in the great minds and great people that I've spoken to. On the line, I have Lisa Lee. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Kenny? Thanks for having me. No problem. I got a bio of you that I'm going to read, and I want to read this out because I think it really speaks to um, at least the beginning of your of your career, and I think that folks are going to be interested in reading this. But anyway, Lisa was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. At the early age of 10, Lisa and her brother asked their father for two turntables, a microphone, and a mixer. Every day they wrote rhymes and would breakdance in the house. At age 13, Lisa walked into a nearby high school where DJ African Bimbada and Disco King Mario were playing. She asked Bimbada if she could rock the mic, and the next week her name appeared on the flyer, Lisa Lee. Zulu Queen Lisa Lee is an original Zulu Queen who started with the Mighty Zulu Nation in the 70s. Lisa Lee is the first, um, is the first, Lisa Lee is the first and only female member of the group Soul Sonic Force. In 1979, she went on to do Zulu Nation Throwdown with the Cosmic Force, which is the first recording of the Zulu Nation. She's also a member of the all-female group Us Girls from the motion picture Beat Street, um, queen of hip-hop community, movement, culture, music, and industry. She is still one of the best MCs of all time. Let's give a hand and a round, a big old shout for Lisa Lee. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you. So tell me what that paragraph did not tell me. Um, it didn't share a lot about who I am as a person not speaking of me as an MC, mm. you know, and and a lot of things that I faced growing up as being raised by my father, you know, as a young girl. But it, it does share a lot about me in the in the music industry and being a rapper and being the first one and the only one of the Soul Sonic Force that's a part of the Universal Little Nation and being the only female rapper that's ever been with Bambada. A little bit. I, you know, you just said something, and I did not even pay that any attention. Tell me about your father. Uh, my father, actually, his name is John Counts. Um, he passed away, but um, he paid, played for the New York Giants back in the 60s with Rosie Greer and um, those guys. 
Um, he was a very, very good father, very great man. Anybody that would take on the responsibility of his children to raise and allow the mom to leave, I think is deserves a, a, a big hand. Um, not many fathers would do that, especially with their daughter. They would probably pawn her off to an aunt or, you know, a grandmother or someone else. But um, when they asked, he wouldn't allow them to take me. He said that I was his daughter and he would raise me. Wow, especially back then in the 70s. You write about yeah. that. In the 70s, that was just not heard of. And, um, yeah. wow, I'm so happy to hear that. I did not know that about your background. It is so significant um, in yeah. this conversation as we talk about what fathers impart um, on their girls. I'm sure that when you went to him and asked him um, for those turntables and a mic and he actually gave them to you, how did that make you feel? Um, he, it made me feel great, but my father was always that type of man. He, it was nothing that he could say no to us about. He tried to do anything and everything for his kids. Um, he worked long hours, unfortunately, you know, just to take care of us and to make sure that we have what we needed. Because um, when he broke his collarbone, and he was playing for the New York Giants. So back then, you know, you retired, you didn't get the lifetime of being taken mm -hmm. care of. So mm -hmm. he went on to get a regular job and, you know, did his best. But like I said, we were home a lot alone. So he gave us that to keep us occupied, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to give us something to do, which was music, which everyone loved in the house, which he bought to the house. You know, with the turntable, I mean, with records and 45s and 33 and a third albums, mm -hmm. you know, which always entertained us. Right. Who was his favorite artist? My dad. Mm -hmm. um, he listened to a lot of the OJs, the Temptations, <laughs> as he did their steps in the living room. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those were his guys. He listened to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. How did he feel about you getting into the business and, and particularly in the business of rap? Um, well, early on, when I was younger, I don't think he was too happy because I stayed in the streets, which mm -hmm. I shouldn't have, but I stayed out in the streets with them till you know, 12, 1, 2 in the morning when the parties were over, and I was pretty young. Mm -hmm. But I was just so involved in the music, and I just, I just loved being out there and in that environment because there wasn't nothing violent about it. It was just, just having a lot of fun, you know. Right. What was it like growing up in the Bronx these days? Because you and I have a contrasting growing up because as you were growing up in the Bronx I was growing up in Brooklyn and you know we always have this kind of battle with respect to exactly where hip-hop began and so right. um, how was it for you growing up in in the Bronx well it's it I I loved it although you know it was around the time with gangs and and basically you, you either had to be in a gang to survive or be friends with them or a part of them some kind of way or you would be picked on mm -hmm. you know so i bambada and zulu nation back then they were the the black spades just transforming into the organization wow and i you know immediately uh, being i had so many friends that lived in bronx river i immediately just you know, I, I just was drawn to them. So I was in gangs at a young age, you know, with them, the organization, which eventually turned into the Mighty Zulu Nation. So I was right there when it was transforming over to uh, more peace, you know, and unity mm -hmm. instead of fighting. But it did have me involved in a lot of fights and a lot of drama and a lot of, you know, things that I wish I didn't be, I wasn't a part of. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, we did a lot of music together. We traveled a lot, and, and Bam introduced me to a lot of um, 
you know, it's the entertainment side of it all. You know, like I said, he was transforming over. So, mm-hmm. what was going it? Up in the wrong, go ahead. Yeah, what was it in you that he saw? I think I shocked him that first night when I got on that mic. I didn't think he had, you know, those type of expectations for me because there weren't any females. The only female that I know of that was doing anything was Shah Rock, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, that was like a shocker that we, I could even compete with a Mr. Biggs, you know, mm-hmm. that who was his his MC at the time. Wow. So when I see my name the next week, he put my name on the fly. I was like, wow. Wow. You know, and he just instantly, you know, gravitated to me as I did with him. And he just, you know, took good care of me and made sure I was on that fly to entertain as I wanted to. Was it hard and was it difficult? What did somewhat the other guys think of you as a female rapper in the mix of them? Um, not really. I think I was like the, how they used me. Well, I shouldn't say used, but how they right. did it was um, I was always like the highlight. Like everybody waited for Lisa Lee to get on the mic. You know, be the guys all night just rapping all night, and then they picked that one time. Like, okay, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that they they treated me any different then. That's more problems now than then. <laughs> you know, it's it's harder now to get involved in to be a part of the um, events that they give now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to basically make a lot of noise for them to say, "Oh yeah, okay, we'll include you." Right. What kind of things were you rapping about then when you first started? Was it just stories? Was it reality? Was it life? What kind of things were you rapping about? Back then, I did a lot of stories. No real life stuff. I just came up with a lot of stories. And I told a lot of stories. I did a lot of um, hymns to different um, shows that I've seen on TV. Like I had one that went to Gilligan's Island. You know, I always mm-hmm. made up something <laughs> that had a little song to it. But it was nothing realistic. Just a lot of stories I usually made up. Wow. Um, what's your sense of hip-hop today? Um, well, um from my my people that are still trying to rap or rapping or the new the new power. stuff the new stuff we'll come back to those folks I want the new stuff what do you think about the new stuff a lot of them are really good a lot of them their raps are really good um I don't really feel like it's entertaining for us as women to call ourselves the B word or mm-hmm. to allow the guys to call us the B word that mm-hmm. part I don't like mm-hmm. but you do have some um, conscious rappers that are really good, you know, that are entertaining. And, and a lot of the females are pretty good. Mm-hmm. It, it's when they start, when you start talking about yourself in a negative way and you have the young pre- people agreeing to that, that's kind of, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. You know, when you think why of... would you encourage us to talk about ourselves in that way? Right. When you think about yourself being at the very of this culture. I was telling someone today that I remember the exact day, the exact time that I heard Rapper's Delight on the radio for the first time. Um, It was so shocking for us in Brooklyn that a lot of us didn't even realize that it was on the radio. We thought it was somebody's mixtape. We didn't know that it was on the radio. And it wasn't until... <clears throat> the radio station call letters came on that we realized, oh, you know, back then it was, oh, snap, you know, oh, snap, you know, somebody's on yeah. the radio rapping. 
That was right. a huge, huge thing. Do you remember um, the conversation that you guys were having once you began to start hearing rap music on the radio? I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I, they had tried to convince us that it would never go anywhere, which, you know, you tell yourself, if everybody's saying it's not going to go anywhere, you're saying, okay, well, this isn't going to go anywhere. But to actually hear it on the radio and see that people are really listening to it and it's getting airplay, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it makes you, you're ready to go in the studio now. You know, you're ready to do your thing, and, and you want to travel. You want to get on this, this this train that they got everybody on that's taking them down this road. You know, like, mm-hmm. wow, you mean we're going to actually pay us now? Like, real money? <laughs> 92 WKTU. Remember that station? Wow, yeah. Haven't heard of that in a long time. Right. Wow. That was one of the original <laughs> stations that began to play real heavily, you know, rap music because BLS at the time, um, had not wrapped their heads around it yet. Um, mm-hmm. And KISS FM wasn't even on the scene yet. And so it was always, I don't know if you remember this, I always laugh um, when we start talking about old radio. Um, you remember that? W-B-L-S. Remember that? Of course, of course. <laughs> How could you forget that? Yeah. <laughs> and so they had not wrapped, you know, Charles Sutton and those guys had not really wrapped their heads around um, this whole notion of this, you know, what they described as this young kid's music. Um, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until some of the other radio stations, and particularly some of the college stations, Fordham is an example, NYU, <coughs> particularly began to start playing mixtapes over the air, you know, of DJs from around the, um, around the city, DJ Flowers and, and some of the other folks that was actually doing underground rap back then. You know, they, commercial radio wasn't buying into it. And I think it was, you know, as we began to, you know, really flood, um, I can remember, and I'm sure you um, went to the Skate Key in the Bronx. Absolutely. Um, in, Up the in, street from my house. Yeah. You know, in Brooklyn, it was Empire Rolling Arena and Utica and Utica Arena. And so yep, I remember. I used to go there, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we they remember they used to spread the floor, and they yep. would have some of the DJs come in, because I DJed at Utica Arena for a little while. And okay. we used to always go to Empire, you know, Arena, but, you know, Skating rings, just like anything else back then in the 70s, they were territorial as well. And so you just didn't go, you know, we just didn't leave Brooklyn to come up to the skate key, you know, without knowing that we were going to meet someone there and that someone would know who we were. That was just the nature of the beast back then. But when you think about that transition um, of and the birth of the hip hop culture um, Mm -hmm. and you look at yourself. How do you see yourself in the origin of hip-hop? Oh, I, I definitely see myself at the beginning of it. And what is um, a little upsetting to me is that the people that were with me, that seen us, that seen me at the, the beginning of this, try not to acknowledge it. Wow. You know, they try to act like they don't know it exists. And we have to, us as females, have to constantly constantly remind them and it's a shame that history tries to change itself or the people try to change history as I maybe I should say but um it makes me I'm very proud of what I've contributed to hip-hop and the culture um as I get older I realize more and more how important it is to tell my story and how important it is for people to know where it started you know at one time I didn't realize just just how important it was and how important I am to the culture. 
So, you know, I do a lot more speaking about it, and I, I tell my story a little bit more because I realize now how many people want to hear it, mm-hmm. you know. And across the world, other countries, you know, contact me all the time about how they still listen to my old tapes, so they just watch Beach Street. And if I, if I may go back a little further, they, they watched Wild Style, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, know and it, and folks, it's amazing. Yeah, do you think the story... So you believe, really believe that their story of the birth of hip-hop has still never adequately been told? And it probably never will be. Hmm. Why? Because how I, what I saw growing up and where I saw it start is my story. And that's where I truly believe it started. Um, there's so many people that believe that it, their story and where they thought that that was the very first person who did it. Hmm. You know, and then you have the ones who change it up so that they can fit themselves in at the beginning. Yeah, you know, and it's a, you know we joke about it again, you know, the Bronx and the Brooklyn thing, but I think that mm-hmm. different elements of the culture itself birthed itself at different places, you know, around the city. You know, I think that, you know, and this is only from my own personal sp- perspective, remembering how it was back then, you know, that we in Brooklyn weren't so much into the rap as we were DJing. Um, that was our thing. That was DJing and, 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 and spinning and being in parks and all those things. That was really, you know, where our heads were, even though we tried, right. you know, at, the, at that back then um, to be a DJ. You also had to be a rapper. You couldn't just be a DJ. You had to have something to say, too. <laughs> and so, right, is, right. And I believe that DJing was, had to be before us. You know, DJing did start before us because that was music. You had the music, so you had the DJ before you had the rapper, and the DJs usually did do their own mm-hmm. MCing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and when that stuff started, and and so the the, the whole culture, you know, I think um, that you know, B Street is still one of my all time favorite um, movies. I was so excited when a Charles introduced you to you, and I didn't realize who you were. It's like right, it was like whoa. You know, and I don't Thank know if you, you remember the first time he introduced you. The first thing I started doing is singing a song because it was just. I remember. <laughs> I remember. Because that song is just locked in my brain. The whole movie is locked in my brain, and I, you know, and all my kids know Beat Street. It's. I mean, wow. I started showing it to them when they were younger, and now they all. They. My son is six years old, and when I show. B Street, and he sees the Roxy scene. The first thing he does is start spinning around on the living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is part, you know, of our culture. You know, when um, you begin to look around the spectrum of at least female rappers um, today, um, do you think they really understand um, the lineage of how female rappers? got into the game and how they are representing the legacy that got them to where they are in the first place? Not at all. I don't think they even care. Um, the last ones that I know to care and, you know, let us know and salute us are like MC Light and Salt and Pepper and um, Queen Latifah, you know, that era. Mm-hmm. You know, they seem to still show us respect and and acknowledge, you know, that we started it. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, these, these, the ones that are rapping today, they, that doesn't matter to them. Wow. And, 
And it's Not just like all. you disconnect. You know, I there's a lot of people, and I don't know if you see them. I see them. I cross them all the time. In fact, I was in a meeting not too long ago and ran into a young lady, and I swear I can't remember her name. But anyway, she, she um, produced um, this documentary that's out about Nas. And so we were actually kind of talking, you know, about hip-hop, and she kind of described herself as a hip-hop baby. Um, and she was just... She's she she just lives and breathes hip hop, and I asked her. I was like, you know, what part of hip hop do you live? Do you live and breathe? Is it what it was and how it started, or is it some uh, manifestation of what hip hop is today? Because I could tell you, there's a huge difference uh, between what I know to be hip hop in the '70s and what hip hop is today, or at least what it's been described to be today. And a lot of what I see today is our culture being commercialized. Do you see that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if I may, what was her response? She, she really didn't have a response. I think that people oftentimes are um, mesmerized by the aura of being mm -hmm. connected to hip-hop not right. really understanding what it truly means because we were having a conversation and I said to her, listen, I said, one of the um, best representations, I said, of um, what hip-hop was to us growing up in New York City um, was the full breadth of what hip-hop was. It wasn't just the music. Um, it was the expression of who we were as youth, um, not really connecting ourselves to what the civil rights movement and and R and B move and uh, and R and B music left for us, and so we weren't singing "We Shall Overcome" anymore. Uh, we were expressing something very different. Um, there was a connection between the two, and my example always between the connection is you take Marvin Gaye's song "Make Me Wanna Holler," throw up both my hands, and you connect that to Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my edge. What right. that is is an expression of our cultural frustration. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? I agree. And so there was a connect um, between the two, but it was a different expression for two different reasons. And she, you know, I, I, I found myself, you know, I've, I, I, I think I've lost her. I think she gets it, but I think I've lost her. <laughs> You right. know, in the conversation, you know, and so I'm always, you know, somewhat um, curious when I speak to people, particularly about the origin, you know, of hip hop and where it came from, if they weren't a part of growing up in it. You and I had the benefit of being there and actually seeing this thing um, take root and even being a part of it. Um, Absolutely. To I mean, to be the person that experienced it, the beginning is like unbelievable right and see, I, I experienced it from somewhat you know outside of the industry itself you know from a spectator's point of view you actually live being in the midst of the development of the business itself and the culture right. itself and you should be very proud of that and I think that one day your story will be told I think that uh, we have to tell our own stories we have to stop Absolutely. waiting for someone to tell um, our story. We have to tell our own stories. And I really, in the heart of my heart, believe that one day, um, not only your story, but the story will be told, whatever it is. Um, I think someone has to take that task on. Has anybody ever Absolutely. approached you about that before? 
Yes, I'm actually working on a documentary now and um, a book. Really? So, um, I, yeah, and you have to tell the truth mm-hmm. 100% when you do this. So mm-hmm. it's taken me some time because, you know, everything in my life is employment. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, I think I should tell my story, um, personal and my hip-hop culture, wow. you know, just the entire thing. And I think that people will find it to be very interesting. Wow. And it will actually encourage women, encourage children, young girls. It, I'm hoping that it will help them through their struggles, wow. you know. Talk to me a little bit about the queens, the real queens of hip-hop. What is that a project? Is it? A, tell me a little bit about that. Well, it was a project that we were working on um, to create a tour for us to take to, um, like, from that whole era. We were just trying to put together a little tour. And um, the gentleman that was helping us um, worked really hard, and we actually had someone that was trying to book us for this tour overseas. Mm -hmm. Um, The states didn't want it. I guess, you know, they have so much... Uh, people with wearing half, being half dressed, that mm-hmm. we weren't interested enough. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but overseas is very interested in, you know, hip hop, and old school hip hop. Right. right. But um, unfortunately, as women, they couldn't get it together. Mm-hmm. So that's the sad part, and it just never took off. Yeah. Well, I would encourage you to just tell your story. You know, tell your truth. No one, yeah. you know, that's the thing that I learned <clears throat> is no one can dispute my truth. Um, and whether it's different from yours, don't make mine untrue just because it's not true to you. Um, it's true right. to me. And so I'm so right. happy to hear that you're doing um, a book and also thinking about doing a documentary and whatever um, I can do, you know, with my networks and contacts to help you pull that off. Um, please don't hesitate. I appreciate that. Know. Yeah, hopefully in the next month or two, uh, I should have the trailer out. So. Nice, nice. Um, when you, um, and again, you know, this this issue of girls and, and, and hip-hop, if you had to look at hip-hop 10 years from now, where's it going to be? Wow. Ooh, that is a, that's a tough question. Um. I don't even know if we're really going to. I hope that hip-hop is still alive and doing good, but I just think that we will be, we will exploit women so badly mm-hmm. if we don't get a grip wow. and we don't change the way that we um, rap, actually. The way that they feel like they're getting through to these young girls, if they don't change that and bring it back to making people, having people... Um, respect women and not just talk nasty about them, Mm -hmm. then I just don't see it staying on the radio. Sooner or later, they're going to stop that. They're just not going to let people continue to just talk about us, talk about ourselves in that manner. Right. I mean, we barely have any clothes on our backs now when we're on stage. You know, not me, but the women that rap. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are they going to do 10 years from now? Right. I mean, they, I would think they have to just get a grip, and there has to be some female that comes out and just makes that change. As they made a, a female who came out and made a change to turn it that way, mm-hmm. hopefully there's a woman that's going to come and get a grip, and people will be like, you know what, I like that better. 
Right, because when you talk to... She's getting like, her point across. She's, she's talking positive about the women, and, and, and she's not half naked. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I talk to, you know, my daughter's, you know, I have one that's 20, just turned 22 years old, and another one that is um, 16. She just turned... To, no, she's getting ready to turn 16 um, years old. You know, and when I talk to them about music... Um, they have a very lackluster response. Like, you know, when you used to, t when, when I was talked to about music when I was 16 years old, I had an excitement about music, about talking, about who was involved in music and what the music sound like and what it was doing. You know, these kids don't really have an affinity for the music. They have affinity for personalities, but they don't right. have affinity for um, the music. And I often think... Um, to the question of 10 years from now um, that people will be more interested in the personalities than they will be in the music. Do you think that's the case? Yes, yes, definitely. Because as you said, they only listen, I think that they don't listen to, they just listen to what the words they're saying. And it doesn't matter if it's something that they, that like one of their hip words that they're using now, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's a nice record. Mm. You we know, the music is, all just doesn't even sound like anybody took the time mm -hmm. to really produce the music. And that's not all music, you know. It's just that if you listen to the songs that they dance to at the clubs, it's just, it's, it's, it just doesn't, it's just all about the words that the, that the rapper is saying. Right. They have this little catchy phrase and that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why haven't women been able to break into the business of hip-hop? And so you look at people who have transitioned um, to what I believe, you know, the hip-hop culture into business. Um, Fresh uh, Will Smith, um, LL Cool J, um, Jay-Z. Um, those folks have been able to puff, have been able to, or Diddy, have been able to transition into the business. But well, you have not seen the same thing with respect to women. You see them like someone like a Queen Latifah has been able to break into um, being a spokesperson and being a talk show host. But I don't know how much she has actually broken into the business. You know, Eve um, tried to um, do some things. She had a radio show, um, and then it kind of went nowhere. But how come women have not been able to break into the business of hip-hop? Well, my opinion, um, I think the men have it so much, they, 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 they get to master that because they don't have this jealousy that us women carry. Mm. These women don't pull together, and because many, if you have more people together, you have more power. Right. But every woman wants to go out on their own. You know, I don't know if it's the jealousy thing, I don't know if it's the, if they just don't trust each other, mm -hmm. but um, they don't have any women that stick together, and that that would make things I think a lot easier for them to, you know, transition over and be become positive business women. You know, they right. just don't do that. Every it seems like every woman is out just for themselves. Right, because even in clothes you know, when, lines, when they, when they when they get a certain place, they just don't help the next woman to to the next level. To I don't see it. Because even in clotheslines, you don't see, like, you see Sean John and you see mm -hmm. all of these other clotheslines that these rappers put out. And now they're beginning to 
even get into the sneaker business. You also don't see women getting into the business of apparel. And I just have not been able to, well, with the exception, and I'll, I'll stop short of calling her um, part of the hip-hop culture, but J-Lo has been able to do a little something um, with right. respect to getting into the business, um, but still nowhere near the level that men have been able to do. You're right, and I don't, I don't get it either, but I just feel like if they, if they pull together, because those guys always have their, their guys with them. You know, they have a crew with them that help them to get there, and you just don't see that with women. You just don't see it. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. I got do have one more question for you. It's a question that I've posed to everybody that I've interviewed, and I'm going to ask you the same question. I'm going to see. I know that all my answers have been profound, and I know that your answer is going to be profound as well. You ready for this question? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if God gave you the power right now to eliminate one issue for our girls, what would it be and why? One issue. Um, wow. I would, if they could eliminate, wow, Kenny, I want so many things I want to say. Mm -hmm. Pick I one. really have to, um, to not be so, let me see what all these, we're, I think as women, we're, We don't have enough, what is the word I want to use? Wow, he just lost me. Hold on, you're going to have to. Loyalty? Is that the word? Is loyalty the word? No, it's, um, and it's such a simple word. I just can't say the word I want to say. Um, To take away our, like we need more, at least um, more confidence in ourselves. Mm. Like I would tell him to take away our lack of, uh, lack of confidence. Because we need to be more confident as ourselves, as women, that we can do anything. That there's nothing that we can't do. We're just as strong mentally as men. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we think of a lot of opportunities that we can do and a lot of um, how we can become successful, but we don't take the steps to do it because we don't have that confidence in ourselves. If he could give us, take away our... What's the word I want to <laughs> um, mm. Lack of confidence, I would have to say. A low self-esteem. Low self-esteem, absolutely. That would really, really be a winner for us as women. Wow. That's and we'd have a lot more successful women. Mm, that's a powerful answer, um, Lisa, because, you know, so you're the ninth person who answered that question, and everyone who's answered it answered it differently. And so I'm actually going to put together, um, I'm going to take all nine of the answers and I'm going to put together a little booklet that's going to be a booklet that I'm going to pass out to parents about 10 things that they should try to eliminate from their girls' lives. Wow. And, Excellent um, idea. So your answer will be um, one of the, in fact, I interviewed 10 but only asked nine because the other one I interviewed the other day. Um, but some very powerful, powerful things that people would want to eliminate. And, you know, my sense is that if we can eliminate all 10 of those things, we would really be doing well for our girls. Oh, yeah. And so, again, thank you so much for spending time 
um, and then your trailer is out, and then the book is out, and then the movie is out. Come back to me because I really want to help you promote those things. Um, I'm a lifetime fan of yours, and um, just love who you are as a person. So glad that you have walked that path <coughs> in such an important part of our history. And I do believe that someone is going to tell that story. And if they don't tell it fast enough, I'm going to tell it. <laughs> so. well, I appreciate everything about you, Kenya. Thank you for having me on your show. I do appreciate that. And everything that you've tried to do for me and have done for me, I do appreciate that. Thank and you. thanks for allowing me to tell my story. No problem. Thank you so much. And listen, you take care. All right. You too, Kenny. Bye-bye. Right. You're listening to The Black Bar on Air. I'm your host, Kenny Braswell. Um, and you have been listening to a dialogue about our daughters, particularly our girls. It's part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign that's going to take place on May the 8th. Um, if you want more information on it, please visit our website at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. Until next time, be blessed. You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King, until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.